Welcome back. Welcome, welcome, welcome into Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. The reason I say welcome back is just because I know I'm in a new time slot, just because I'm now Fridays at 9 a.m. as opposed to Mondays at 4 p.m. And so it's obviously, you know, a little getting used to, but nonetheless, it's still very nice to be in my time slot that I'm in right now. The reason why I switched is just had to do with a work scheduling issue. But anyway, my show today, all kinds of fantastic to look forward to. So my music for today, I'm going to be doing rock music. I know I've been doing music themes, and I'm still going to be continuing to do music themes, but instead, this time, it is going to be... I'm switching to genres, is basically what I'm trying to say. And so, genres is what I will be switching to. And so, you can look forward to that. Today will be rock music. And as far as sporting content, NFL Week 11, of course, I want to get into that. A whole lot of changes in power dynamics and as far as the way certain teams are viewed, I think... That's important to take a look at. European f- club football I want to look at as well. There was a huge game a couple weeks ago, Liverpool versus Manchester City, and a big firing of a big coach from a big-name team. And then, finally, I want to talk a little bit about hockey just because, well, hasn't been the greatest week for the Calgary Flames. And the Toronto Maple Leafs also made some really big headlines as well. But for anybody who knows anything about me or who happens to listen to this show on more than one occasion, you know exactly what I'm going to be starting with. And that is European qualifiers. Because there was a certain country that I was very interested in considering that they had a chance to do something never done before. Finland, for those of you who didn't know, Finland is one of my countries, and they were competing in the European qualifiers to qualify for the European Championships. Now, Finland has never actually qualified for the Euros in their entire history. They've also never qualified for the World Cup, ever. And so, last Friday, this was literally minutes after my show ended, their game kicked off. They were playing Liechtenstein in Helsinki, and a win would take them to Euro 2020 and to a major international tournament for the first time ever. And my goodness, they did it. They did it. I, I'm still kind of struggling to put into words how amazing this is, how much it just means to me. Finland is going to be at Euro 2020 this summer as they beat Liechtenstein 3 to nothing. It was the final score of the game. And, I mean, I just... Again, I'm still processing. They're really in it. They are really in it, and it is 
an amazing feeling, an unbelievable feeling that they are in Euro 2020. The game, I mean, to be completely honest, it never really felt like there was going to be any other result. Liechtenstein ended up being the last place team in the group. They didn't win a single game. And, I mean, they had, like, I think one shot on target or something like that throughout the entire match. Basically, the Finnish goalkeeper, Lukas Radetzky, he really didn't have to do a whole lot in the entire game. He made one save and then kind of chilled in his own net for a good chunk of the match. But as far as the Finnish attack goes, I mean, this game had a little bit of everything as far as excitement and tension and all that. But it was thankfully very quickly nullified by the fact that Yase Tuominen scored the opening goal in in the first half to give Finland the one nothing lead and basically to give everybody a nice little sigh of relief that everyone could breathe easy and it's like, yeah, okay, th- things are going really well. And then in the second half, it was Peter Soidi who cut down, he was down the left-hand wing, cut inside to his right, inside of the penalty area, was taken out, and Finland were given a penalty shot. And then, as they say, I mean, couldn't have, couldn't have a Finland match without a certain unbelievable goal-scoring machine named Temu Puki, as he scored his seventh, and then later his eighth goal in qualifying to bring Finland to a 3-0 lead. And when Puki scored his third goal, you could just, you could see, people knew it was going to happen. And yeah, it was just an unbelievable, unbelievable moment. Finland is in the Euros. I just, I'm so happy. I'm so happy they are finally in it. And I'll get to watch my country play at a major international tournament. And it's not that I haven't been able to watch one of my countries do it. Chile compete in the Copa America. I got to watch them at a couple World Cups and stuff. And I guess Canada technically qualifies for the Gold Cup, although that tournament isn't quite as glamorous. But nonetheless, I mean, it really has to do with the idea that I never thought this would happen. There are certain things that I've just sort of grown to live with or accept. Because I love all three of my countries, whether it's Canada, Chile, Finland. I love all of them for different reasons. But when it comes to certain sporting things, I've just always kind of accepted that, you know what, Chile is never going to be good at hockey. I've just kind of always accepted that. And that's okay, because they're good at other things. And, you know, that's why... I support them in the sports they're good at, right? And don't really pay attention to the ones that they're not supposed to be good at. I didn't think Finland would ever be good at soccer. But here we are. Here we are. This team has finally qualified for a major international tournament. And for those of you who might not fully understand what this meant to not only me, but everybody in Finland, I definitely recommend going to my Twitter account it's at Peter underscore Roman 18. That's my Twitter handle. If you just go to my likes, it's full of videos and pictures 
and everything of how much it meant to the people of Finland. Because after the game ended, as you can imagine, there was a huge pitch invasion where people from the stands just came flooding onto the field. And I'm pretty sure security at one point just kind of gave up and they were like, yep, okay, so this is happening. Nothing we can do about it type of thing. And I don't blame them. I mean, it was really, truly a special moment. And, yeah, if you didn't think there was going to be a pitch invasion, I mean, you haven't been watching football long enough type of thing. But it got to the point, though. Like, like there are pitch invasions, and then there's the one that happened in Finland where I know there's 10,000 people in that stadium, but it certainly looked like, from the pictures anyway, and from some of the videos, that there were more people that ended up on the field than were left in the stands. That says a lot. Not to mention the partying in the streets that would rival any hockey party that the country has ever thrown. There were like viewing sessions across the country in Turku, in Helsinki, in Tampere, with big giant screens, not too dissimilar from the Jurassic Park stuff that was in Toronto during the Toronto Raptors championship run. Truly unbelievable. And like even some of the players, like they were saying in like the aftermath of the game, they were saying that like the people that were coming onto the field were in tears and were crying about how much it meant to them. And they were just saying thank you for finally achieving what they've waited their entire life to be to happen, basically. So Finland is in. History was finally made, and it is amazing that I was able to watch a true moment in genius like that. Anyway, my next part, obviously Finland weren't the only team playing. There were other teams that, of course, played. And we now know 20 of the 24 teams that will, com- that will be competing at Euro 2020. So... These are the teams that have qualified so far. We have Belgium, Italy, England, Germany, Spain, Ukraine, France, Poland, Switzerland, Croatia, Netherlands, Russia, Portugal, Turkey, Denmark, Austria, Sweden, Czech Republic, Wales, and of course Finland. There will be four other teams that will end up booking their place in the tournament yeah in the final 24 teams I should say and they will those final four places will be decided by the European qualifiers playoffs now the playoffs are a little complicated to explain the simple version is just that there was a competition that went on before the Euro qualifiers and it was called the UEFA Nations League Based on how teams did in the UEFA Nations League, it gave them the opportunity to compete in the playoffs if they needed to, if they didn't qualify outright. So, for the European Qualifiers playoffs, these are the groups of four. So, each group of four will be fighting for one place at Euro 2020. So, in path D, we have Georgia, North Macedonia, Kosovo, and Belarus. Those four teams will be fighting for one spot at Euro 2020. Path C has Scotland, Norway, Serbia, and Israel. So those will be the four countries fighting in that bracket. Path B has Bosnia-Herzegovina, Slovakia, Republic of Ireland, and Northern Ireland. And then Path A has Iceland, Bulgaria, Hungary, and Romania. So those are the different pathways 
for the teams that didn't qualify automatically but still have a chance to make the final tournament. The actual draw for Euro 2020 won't happen for another week, but we kind of already know a lot of what it's going to look like. And so trying to break this down, I'm not going to lie, it took me almost two hours to try and figure out what kind of UEFA language, whatever they put on their website. Trying to figure out how UEFA actually have structured this draw took me like two hours to try and understand the language. And so I'm going to try and explain it as simply as possible, although, again, there's a lot of complicated logistical reasonings. But anyway, so Euro 2020 is very unique because it's celebrating the 60th year anniversary of the European Championships. And because of that, it is not held in one country like it normally is. Normally, the tournament is held in one country or maybe like two countries side by side. And so that usually makes things easier a little bit logistically. This year, that was not the case. This year, there is no host country. There are host cities. And so there are 12 cities around Europe that are going to be hosting this tournament. So Rome in Italy is one of the host cities. Baku, Azerbaijan is another one. St. Petersburg, Russia. Copenhagen, Denmark, Amsterdam, Netherlands, Bucharest, Romania, London, England, Glasgow, Scotland, Bilbao, Spain, Dublin, Ireland, Munich, Germany, and Budapest, Hungary. Those are the 12 host cities. And the way they've set it up is just that each host city is paired up with another one. And so that way, it's kind of done re... I shouldn't even say regionally. It's done a little bit regionally, but it's mostly done based on strength of country. And so each host city is paired up with one another, and each of them are responsible for one of the groups. And so that way, the games are shared between the two cities, if that makes sense. So, for example, Group A, the host city pairing, is Rome and Baku. So that means that Italy, because they've already qualified has to be in Group A because they have to be in the same group that their host city is in. So Italy is already in Group A. We already know this. Group B, meanwhile, is the group that will be hosted by St. Petersburg and Copenhagen. And so Russia and Denmark are automatically in this group. Group C, hosted by Amsterdam and Bucharest. Netherlands are automatically in this group because they've already automatically qualified. The group hosted by London and Glasgow, England has to be in it, and so England are in Group D. And then Group E has to have Spain, because Bilbao and Dublin are the host cities. And Group F, which has Munich and Budapest, Germany is already in. Where it gets complicated is the playoff stuff, because you have certain countries that have host cities that will be competing in the playoffs. So, as an example, we have Path B. So Bosnia-Herzegovina, Slovakia, Republic of Ireland, and Northern Ireland. The Republic of Ireland has a host city, because Dublin is one of the host cities. And so, because of that, if the Republic of Ireland were to win their playoff, they would have to be in Spain's group, because Spain's group has the host city pairing. So Bilbao and Dublin are paired together, and so therefore Ireland would have to be in Group E if they qualify. But the way the draw works, because that's not a guarantee and because of logistical things, basically 
Whoever wins path B between those four nations I mentioned will get put into group E, even if it's not Ireland. And that's just because it has to be there in case Ireland wins, because that way Ireland could get into the group. I really hope that makes sense. I know it's a little more complicated than that, but that's the simple version of why that has to happen. And so therefore, the winner of path B has to be in group E. There's a couple of variations. Group D doesn't have a single host nation, and so they can be put almost anywhere that other nations can't be put in. But like, for example, another one, path C, Scotland is a, has a host city. And so therefore, the winner of path C has to be in England's group, even if it's not Scotland. And I really, again, I hope that makes sense. And so because of that, we kind of know a little bit about what the draw is going to look like. So for major tournament draws in soccer, the way they like to do it is they have four pots. They have pot one, pot two, pot three, and pot four. Each pot has nations, and it's supposed to be done by strength of country, although the Euros have changed it a little bit because it's done by whoever won their group and whoever won it the most convincingly. And so therefore, and because you have this host nation, like host city thing, and host nations, like, you have a little bit of a complicated mess as far as the pots are concerned. But I'll, I'll try and explain it very simply. So pot one has Belgium, Italy, England, Germany, Spain, and Ukraine. Four of those six already know what group they're in. And that's just because they have to be in the group that their host city is in. That leaves Belgium and Ukraine. So those are the only two pot one teams that don't have a group yet. And the only groups they could go in is Group B or Group C. Now, we already know where they're going to be. And that's because Ukraine has to be in Group C and Belgium has to be in Group B. If you're wondering why, that, why it has to be that way, it has to do with the UEFA restriction. Because Ukraine and Russia cannot be in the same group together. And that's just because of the political tension going on there. And so they cannot be drawn with each other. So Ukraine has to be put in the group with the Netherlands. And Belgium has to be put in Russia's group, considering there's no other groups they could go into. And then that leaves a whole lot of other stuff. But as far as Finland's situation, they're in pot four with Wales and the four playoff winners. And so the four playoff winners are kind of already pre-assigned to certain groups based on whether or not they had a host nation or not. But essentially for Finland and for Wales, because they're kind of in the same situation here, they have one of two options. They could either be in Group A alongside Italy, or they could be in Group B alongside Russia, Denmark, and Belgium. Those are kind of the two situations right now for Finland. And I know you might be thinking, well, Group D or Path D doesn't have a playoff team or a host city, I should say. Excuse me. So they don't have a host city. So why are they being pre-assigned to a group? And why can't they be in one of these groups? Well, the answer is actually very simple. It has to do with the fact that Kosovo has a UEFA restriction with Russia. And so they can't be drawn together either. And because you have to avoid that possibility, they can't be put in Group B. And so therefore, because of that, Finland and Wales will either be in Italy's group or in Russia, Denmark, and Belgium's group. As far as what a draw might look like, in a best-case scenario, at least in my opinion, it would be Group A alongside Italy, Switzerland, and Austria. I think that would probably be the easiest group they could get. 
kind of, Group B is kind of an in-between scenario just because Belgium is a... Belgium, to me, is one of the favorites in this tournament. And Russia and Denmark are host cities, and so they'll have home field advantage for their games. And so it's not ideal, but it's not the worst group to be in. The worst group to be in for these, for these countries is in Group A with Italy, France, and Portugal. Because Portugal is in Pot 3, and France is in Pot 2. And so that draw is technically possible, despite the fact that Portugal are the holders of the tournament, and France are the world champions because they won the World Cup last year. So, yeah, not ideal as far as that one's concerned. So th- there's kind of a, a very a very drastic change that could happen as far as there's a pretty easy draw and there's a, you know, you might not get any points type of draw for Finland at Euro 2020. As far as how the other groups look, those are kind of the only confirmed teams so far. Like I said, the playoff winners are kind of confirmed, but the pot two teams, France, Poland, Switzerland, and Croatia could be in any of the groups. And then pot three could be any of the teams outside of Denmark. And so Czech Republic, Sweden, Austria, Turkey, and Portugal could realistically get put into any group that isn't group B. So... That's kind of the really basic way of explaining how the draw works. The actual draw for the tournament will happen in about a week. And don't worry, I'll be talking all about that when it does happen because it's very exciting to look ahead to what the major tournament has to offer. The Euro 2020 is the signature summer soccer showpiece this summer. And so very exciting to talk about regardless if if I didn't have a rooting interest in it. Anyway, that's it. That's all I got on my opening segment today. My first song of the day, I have Boston with More Than a Feeling. Find something you recognize on cmru.ca. By students, for you.
New Year, new lineup. CMRU.ca has new shows just for you. From retro to your favorite meme songs. Tune in here at CMRU.ca. By students, for you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca. By students, for you. My name is Peter Roman. And I know my first segment was really long today, but kind of had to be. It was very very personal to me. But don't worry. I'm on to my NFL segment. NFL week 11 in the books. So I have my five storylines. I know last week I did something a little bit different, a little bit unique, and that's just because it was over the halfway point. But I'm back to my storylines. So storyline number one, bears are done. It is no longer bear down. It's bear downhill this season. Sadly, has not this season has not gone anywhere near what Chicago was hoping for. The Bears had Super Bowl aspirations, especially after their 12 and 4 season a year ago, and the fact that they only lost a playoff game on a kicker hitting the upright. This year it just hasn't worked out. Offensively, they this team has been terrible. Like it is it is a struggle watching them play offense this season. And this is really disappointing because Mitch Trubisky, from year one to year two, took a huge step in his development. He became a much better quarterback from year one to year two. The problem is that he has regressed and gotten worse from year two to year three, which is not what you want to see ever out of your quarterback. And unfortunately for Chicago, they... Lost to the LA Rams on Sunday Night Football, 17-7, and that pretty much spells an end to their season. Chicago is 4-6 and six now as their record, and considering how good the NFC is this year, 10-6 and six might not be good enough to get you in the playoffs. And this is assuming Chicago were to somehow win out, which at this point seems like a, a little bit of a pipe dream that they actually would win the rest of their games in the season. More than likely, Chicago is going to end up probably in that 7-8 to eight win range. And if I were running the franchise, which I'm obviously not, but I would start to very much look ahead towards next season. And Chicago have a lot of question marks. This is a team with a tremendous defense, but you know they've had a few injuries on that side of the ball. But you have to imagine that guys like Akeem Hicks will be back next year and ready to go. But offensively, I mean, Allen Robinson's been pretty good, and so probably want to keep him. Don't know who else you'd want to keep from that roster offensively, just speaking very honestly. I mean, Trubisky, maybe you keep just because he's on the final year of his rookie contract, and it doesn't make a ton of sense to cut him. And so maybe you keep him for one more year, but you have to bring in a quarterback of some kind. I don't know if Matt Nagy, the head coach, stays on or not. Like, that that one to me is a little 50-50 at this point, just because this year has been so terrible. And then David Montgomery I would keep, just because he's, a, again, on his rookie contract. Tariq Cohen has been totally useless for the Bears this season. I don't know if he would stay at all. And then Anthony Miller's a guy who is supposed to improve. He hasn't really shown that. Taylor Gabriel's been kind of whatever. Their tight end position has been either injured or ineffective this year. It has not been a good season for the Chicago Bears. And with the loss to L.A., they are all but finished, especially in a division that features the 8-3 and Minnesota Vikings 
and the 8-2 Green Bay Packers. So, that's my first storyline. Storyline number two, the Ravens are the best team in the AFC at home. I want to preface that. I don't know if Baltimore, like this is my thing with Baltimore. They've been tremendous this season, and Lamar Jackson is definitely an MVP candidate without a doubt. This team has been tremendous so far this season, especially when they're playing at home. I have questions about them on the road, and it, I know they went and beat Seattle. I know that was a that was an impressive win, but they also lost to Kansas City, and they also lost to Cleveland earlier in the year. And so, I do think Baltimore, if they can get home field advantage, will be the favorite in the AFC because Lamar Jackson looks like Michael Vick, but you know more athletic, and then. Their running game is pretty much unstoppable. Mark Andrews is having a great season at tight end. And while their defense might not be ranked number one like it was a year ago, this is a Ravens defense that is still pretty solid and able to get the job done on most games. So Baltimore look like the best team in the league right now. And I have to think that if they can get home field, they'll probably be the favorite in the AFC. But I can't pick them over New England, at least not yet, just because I don't know if Baltimore could go to Foxborough in New England in the playoffs and win a game. They absolutely could, but I don't know if I would pick them to type of thing. At least not yet. Storyline number three. Nick Foles is out of magic. I know that's premature to say, and you know, now that I've said that, I know Nick Foles is going to go win out the rest of the season, but... Jacksonville would need to run the table at this point. They need to win the every single game they have remaining on their schedule. I just don't think they're going to be able to do it. For Sadly for the Jaguars, Foles got hurt in week one. He just came back, but it was he looked very, outside of the opening drive anyway, he looked very rusty in this game. The Colts clearly, I think, were the better side. 33-13 was the final score in this game. And so it's probably not going to be Nick Foles' year, but... I do think next year, Jacksonville has a lot to be optimistic about. Storyline number four. The Patriots should be a little bit concerned about their offense. I'm not saying press the panic button. I will never say that as long as Tom Brady is the quarterback and Bill Belichick is the head coach. Those two guys have won more than anybody has won in this sport. And so I will never, ever say that they're washed up or they're done or anything like that. But they should be a little bit worried about that offense. Because it was really bad against the Eagles. It was not good. They only won the game because they got a touchdown on a Julian Edelman trick play. Not the greatest look. And I get it. Philly's defense isn't exactly, like, horrible. But the Eagles' defense isn't exactly spectacular either. And so, absolutely, there should be no need to panic at this point if you're the Patriots. But... Maybe a little bit worried considering we're approaching the end of November and their offense is still continuing to struggle. And finally, storyline number five. Phillip Rivers is washed up. I've been saying this on my show for a little while now. I've thought this for a long time where it's just, I know Phillip Rivers in his prime was a good quarterback. I know that. But he's not that anymore. And it's... The LA Chargers are basically eliminated out of the playoffs 
because in the two biggest games of the season against the Raiders and the Chiefs, Rivers threw, and I am saying this correctly, 54% completion in one of them, 53% in the other one, and then he's thrown a grand total of seven interceptions in two games and a passer rating of less than 60 in both of these games. When you're pulling off those kind of numbers, you're hurting your team more than you're helping your team. L.A. need a new quarterback this offseason. I said it a couple years ago, but it's really evident right now that this is a good roster that needs a new QB. Anyway, that's it. That's all I got for the NFL stuff. My next segment coming up, I'm going to talk a little European club football, mostly Premier League stuff, but I'll dive around to the other leagues as well, at least the major ones. For right now, my next song in my music break is Deep Purple and Smoke on the Water. You're listening to CMRU.ca by students for you.
listen to cmru.ca by students for you welcome back to moments of genius here on cmru.ca by students for you i want to remind everybody that you can listen to the cmru.ca app on the go it's live it li- allows you to listen to our station live 24/7 Features, on-demand content, videos, podcasts, and news by all the students here in the broadcasting program. So you can download it for free on either iPhone or Android, both on the Apple App Store and Google Play. So definitely recommend doing that. I have the app downloaded. It's pretty awesome. So my third segment of the day, European Club Football, because I haven't been able to talk about this for a couple of weeks, considering there's other stuff that I've wanted to talk about a little bit more. So going to try and catch up on there was a lot that's gone down but I'll start in England because there was huge news out of the United Kingdom when Tottenham decided to make a change at coach so Tottenham is one of the biggest teams in England they were the team that made the Champions League final alongside Liverpool not even a year ago and they decided to fire their coach Mauricio Pochettino was fired by Tottenham, and he is now replaced by Jose Mourinho. And if you can hear the dread in my voice, that's intentional. I don't like him. Not one bit. Mourinho is the type of manager who, I know he's successful, and I know he's smart. He's a good tactician. Like, he knows the game. But, my goodness, he is just... He would be the worst coach to play under. Mourinho is the type of guy to throw all of his players under the bus and then run over them a couple times because he refuses to accept blame for anything he does and everything when, they, when his team loses is either the referee's fault or his player's fault or both. It's never his fault. He constantly belittles his players. He's... Constantly just sitting there whining about, oh, I can't have my players. I want a hundred million for my players. Well, what about the money you already spent on your other players that aren't playing well because you made bad choices as a manager? Yeah, you you can tell. I really don't like this guy. Anyway, he takes over a Tottenham team that currently sits 14th in the league. I know Spurs are having a real bad start to their season, but Mauricio Pochettino, in my opinion, is one of the best coaches in the world. And the fact that he is available now, I mean, outside of a few clubs, I'd be firing my coach and hiring him immediately. Pochettino's a good coach. Spurs were irrelevant. Spurs were an irrelevant mediocre team before Pochettino got there. And then now, there's just no loyalty at all. They're having one bad year, and this is not even a year after they made the Champions League final. I don't know. I think Pochettino deserved the opportunity to right the ship. He was not given that opportunity because he's been fired after about like three months in the season. And so now Mourinho is there. And so when Tottenham's best players decide they're sick of him and want to leave, you can only blame one person, Daniel Levy, the chairman of Tottenham, because I think he's made a horrible decision. Anyway, (laughs) there was other stuff that happened in the Premier League. Liverpool and Manchester City faced off in what could have been a title-deciding game, and 
based on the result, it very well might be. Liverpool won this game 3-1. to I know there was a lot of controversy involving video assistant referee. The controversy, I don't think, was that warranted. And it has to do with the fact that, yes, Alexander-Arnold, the ball hit his hand in the box on the first goal. But it hit Bernardo Silva's hand beforehand. And because of the new rules in FIFA that you can't have anything hit your hand and then have a scoring opportunity out of it, it would have been disallowed anyway, the penalty kick. So, Liverpool won this game. I think they were probably the deserving team. City carried more to the play, but Liverpool were more clinical in getting high-danger chances. And Liverpool now find themselves 11 wins and one draw with no losses on the season. They are nine clear of Manchester City. And I think if they can get one more positive result versus City, as a, what I mean by that is just if they can make the gap 12 or 10, I think they'll probably win the league at that point. Leicester and Chelsea are technically ahead of Man City, but I don't think either one is really a credible challenger. Leicester, though, has had a fantastic season. Brendan Rodgers has done a great job with this team. Vardy's been great this season. And, yeah, Leicester, I mean, it's not... They're not as good as the title-winning team, but they're pretty good. And Leicester will be in the fight for a Champions League place, I think, all season long. And then Sheffield United. I don't think anybody's talking about them. But Sheffield United's in fifth place. This was a team that a lot of people had going down. And I thought they would be down near relegation. But they have 17 points, 4 wins, 5 draws, 3 losses. Fantastic start to the season for Sheffield United who right now look like the furthest thing from getting relegated. And so good for them. Arsenal, it hasn't been so great. Arsenal, there's been a lot of calls to fire their coach. I mean, with Pochettino available, not the worst option ever. Man United sit one point behind Arsenal right now. Both teams obviously looking to do better. Tottenham, of course, also. And then the team below Tottenham, Everton, not a good start for them either. They're a team looking to turn it around. And in the relegation zone, we have Watford, Southampton, and Norwich. They'll have to try and fight to get out of it. Norwich got off to a good start this season, but they have come back down to earth real fast. Anyway, moving from England to Spain, the La Liga table is razor thin right now. Barcelona and Real Madrid both sit tied at the top with 25 points each. Barcelona currently hold it on goal difference. Atletico Madrid have played one more game, but are only one point behind both Real Madrid and Barcelona. Sevilla sit tied level with Atletico on points. And then Real Sociedad, who's in fifth, has 23. So between first and fifth, there's a two-point gap in La Liga right now. And that makes the El Clasico match, which is going to happen a little bit later, it got postponed due to some political tensions going on in Barcelona. And so that game will be played a little bit later in the season. It'll be ultra-important for both of those teams to get points. From Spain to Germany, it continues to be a magical run right now for Borussia Mönchengladbach, who are first place in the league. Eight wins, one draw, and two losses on the season. They have been everything you've wanted them to be forever. Like This team is playing at a very high level right now. Mönchengladbach just continuing to win and win at basically a tremendous pace that has them top of the Bundesliga. And I really hope they can keep it going as long as possible at this point. They do have, of course, the big match with Bayern Munich. That's coming up 
on the 7th of December, and so that will likely be a fight for first place. So we'll f- I think we'll find out a lot about Gladback in that game in December. RB Leipzig are currently the team in second place, though. They have a better goal difference than Bayern does, but they each have 21 points, and so they're four behind Gladback at this very moment. And then finally to Syria, where Juventus look almost unbeatable. And in fact, they haven't lost yet. They have 10 wins and two draws on the season for 32 points. The saving grace in Italy is that Inter Milan have been almost as good. And they so far sit one point behind Juventus. And so it's 100% a two-horse race. Lazio are seven back of Inter. I don't think they're going to catch them. And I don't think any other team, in fact, is going to catch either Inter or Juventus. One of those two teams will be winning the Scudetto this season. And that's it. That's all I got for European club football. I'll talk a little bit of hockey coming up in my last segment. For right now, I have The Who and Baba O'Reilly.
www.cmru.ca. Bye, students. For you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius. I'm on my final segment of the day. I just wanted to make a slight note to my last segment. This is apparently from the Daily Telegraph. It's not confirmed, and so it's not technically breaking news. But apparently, rumor is Bayern Munich have already offered Mauricio Pochettino a job. and Because Bayern Munich sacked their manager, Nico Kovac, not that long ago. And so that would be a nice little upgrade for him. But anyway, just wanted to mention that. On to hockey. It has been a rough week for the Calgary Flames. And rough is being nice. I'm being very nice to them right now because they've been shut out in three of their last four games, including a 5-0 loss to St. Louis last night. Yeah, no. See, in the NHL, I've always said that the games don't really matter until late December, early January, which is kind of true. They don't really matter until then. But you want to tread water until that happens. And when I say tread water, I mean be about 500. Calgary has now fallen below 500, and I'm starting to get a little bit worried about this team because they can't seem to score. They can't seem to play well together. Their effort level outside of a few players seems to be on the lower side right now, and they're just leaving David Riddick hung out to dry in the net. I feel bad for Riddick. He's been actually really good, but the team in front of him has not played anywhere near to the level that they're capable of. And so it's not time to panic in Calgary, but it's time to get worried. At least a little bit. They got to turn this around here. This is a bad six game losing streak. Anyway, the other big NHL news in Toronto Mike Babcock was fired as head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, I'm not terribly surprised, but I don't think it's that good of a decision. I think Mike, Bab- Mike Babcock is one of the better coaches in the, NH- in the NHL. I know he's had some problems with some of the players, but I think it's just. The roster around him is constructed poorly because it's way too top-heavy. And that's the fault of Kyle Dubas, the GM, not Mike Babcock. And so I don't think it's that great of a move. Obviously, we'll have to wait and see. But Mike Babcock certainly will be looking for another job. I think he will get plenty of job offers. And now for Toronto, it's about trying to prove that it was actually the coach and not the team, or the personnel, I should say. That's it. That's all I got for my show today. I want to thank everyone for listening in to Moments of Genius. I'll be back next week with all kinds of awesome sporting content. My final song of the day, Green Day and Basket Case. Do you have the time to listen to me whine About nothing and everything all at once I am one of those Melodramatic fools Neurotic to the bone No doubt about it Sometimes I give myself the creeps Sometimes my mind plays tricks on me It all keeps adding up I think I'm cracking up And am I just paranoid? Am I just
Yeah, yeah.